Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. I have to say what I have to say, regardless of the consequences. The reporting and commentary on what the Trump campaign team is trying to do is as disgraceful as the reporting and commentary on the Russia hoax. The lawyers involved in these cases on behalf of the Trump campaign are definitely fighting uphill battles, but they are fighting righteous battles. Enormous instances of fraud are being found and being provided to them. They're tracking them down. They're getting affidavits. They have hundreds and hundreds of affidavits in their lawsuits. The clock is ticking and they're under pressure at the same time. And there's two different types of lawsuits being brought. And I must say, I watched Jonathan Turley and my former buddy, Annie McCarthy, and I think her name's Kristen Fisher. I don't know what kind of legal background she's had, if she's ever been in a courtroom or ever handled a case. And the reporting and commentary, in my view, is really, uh, it needs to get better. Let me put it to you that way. And on CNN and MSNBC, they don't care about the truth at all. They are pathological, serial liars. You have to be a psycho to get a job on CNN and MSNBC. So I dismiss them all together. And I say this in terms of uh, the commentary and the reporting to buy, try and be very positive and contribute to what I hope will be an improvement. You've got two kinds of cases going on here. You've got constitutional challenges, and then you have challenges based on fraud. And in some cases, there's an overlap. 
The constitutional challenges in Pennsylvania and elsewhere raise questions of the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, the 14th Amendment. And this clause was referenced by the U.S. Supreme Court itself in Bush v. Gore. And that is basically this. You can't have disparate treatment from one voter to another based on geography, based on political party, or anything else for that matter. Based on the manner in which they vote. Because otherwise you're going to disenfranchise some voters while promoting the votes of other voters. It's a very serious issue. It's the Equal Protection Clause, 14th Amendment. There's also a challenge on Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, on who gets to make election laws. Again, a very serious matter. The court took it up in Bush versus Gore, took a look at it, but it didn't actually have to rule on that. But the court wants to rule on that, at least some of the members of the court do, which is why Associate Justice Samuel Alito not once but twice ordered the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania to segregate ballots. Seems like a pretty important issue, doesn't it? Now we're told that that only amounts to 10,000 ballots. And I'm thinking to myself, who are these commentators on television? That only amounts to 10,000 ballots. Well, that only amounts to 10,000 ballots in Pennsylvania. But maybe it amounts to more than 10,000 ballots in Pennsylvania. If you look at the actual lawsuits they're bringing, they're raising the Equal Protection Clause in, in a variety of circumstances. But if the court rules, as it should, that only the state legislatures can make the election laws and state courts and state governors and state secretaries of state and state election boards can't, that can have an effect across the country. It could have an effect across the country in states like Georgia where the Secretary of State entered into a, a secret decree with the Democrat Party, which is also being litigated by Lim Wood. You've got to look at this whole thing. If there's a Supreme Court decision, and the Supreme Court decision on Article 2 has an effect across the states, I don't know. I haven't done an analysis of it. But the point is, these are constitutional cases. You don't need evidence of fraud. You don't need evidence of fraud. They're constitutional cases. And so if you have institutionalized instances where governors or state secretaries of state or the Supreme Court of the state have put their finger on the weight of the Democrat Party against the Republican Party, of course you should litigate that. If they couldn't get what they want from the state legislature, and so go to the state Supreme Court and get what they want, of course you should litigate that. How is that frivolous? Frivolous neither in this election or any election going forward. And it's an amazing thing to hear the commentators say it only affects 10,000 ballots. When the judge, one of the judges in the federal district court case, when they were raising this issue of curing ballots, that only dark blue areas were told that they could cure ballots, meaning you could open the ballots in violation of state law and contact the voter and tell them to fix their ballot, that that advice and guidance was given to only boards of election in blue areas and not red areas, the judge, an Obama appointee, a federal judge in central Pennsylvania said, well, you would have me throw out hundreds of thousands of ballots. 
So on the one hand, we have the judge saying you would have me throw out hundreds of thousands of ballots under the Equal Protection Clause. On the other hand, we have a commentator on my favorite cable network saying, oh, well, that part of the ruling on Article 2 only affects 10,000 ballots. But it's more complicated than that, and it's broader than that. We're talking about Article 2, but we're also talking about the Equal Protection Clause. Now, if the judge at the district court level, the Obama judge, throws it out, are we going to have a reporter with no legal experience whatsoever then get on TV and say they lost another one? You lose a lot of cases before you win cases. That's the way it works in many parts of the country. You don't pick the judges. You can't help it sometimes. But that's a serious challenge, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Now, another point. There's a lot of confusion here. And unfortunately, it's being given by former prosecutors and law professors. Really absurd. The quantity of the fraud. First, there's no fraud. You can't prove it. Now there's not enough fraud to matter. And they know it. Sitting in their studios in Washington and New York and elsewhere in the country, they know there's not enough fraud. How do we know? Because Giuliani and the Hundreds of volunteers they have haven't shown us enough fraud. Number one, the quantity of fraud is not the test. You have sworn affidavits by American citizens, also election officials, under penalty of perjury. You didn't have that in the Russia hoax case. You didn't have that in the Stacey Abrams case in Georgia. You've got it up the wazoo here. So the quantity of the affidavits and the seriousness of the affidavits is unparalleled in American history. In American history. The fact of fraud, the fact of fraud can raise serious, even grave concerns of voter disenfranchisement. That's enough. That's enough to get a positive ruling from a court. And the court can fashion a remedy. doesn't have to accept the remedy that's proposed by the judges. A court can fashion a remedy, including transparency. That is, protect those ballots. We want to take a look. Protect that software. We want to take a look. That should be enough. Nobody walks into court and says, I have 150,000 ballots here, Your Honor, all of which are problematic. What kind of stupid commentary are we getting? It's not a numerical test. And yet these instances of fraud can lead to evidence of widespread fraud. And that's usually how it works. When you're prosecuting the mob, you get a, you get a rat fink. You get a source. You get information. And you build from that. You don't have to go in front of a federal court and say, look, I need all these warrants, I need all these wiretaps, because we have evidence that we have 73 members of the this or that family. That you don't need that. And yet, the report was that Giuliani's team did not credibly explain their path to victory. They have credibly, credibly explained their litigation activity, which could well be a path to victory. 
And this litigation strategy in these various states, where the laws have been changed, in many cases illegally, where they're tracking down 30, 40, 50 different types of voting activity, even with the states there's different activity in different counties, is a very difficult and complicated business. And she said they didn't reveal enough fraud to affect the election. They didn't reveal enough fraud to affect the election? How do we know that? Well, they haven't presented it. No, they're not going to present it. It's not possible to present it. They're bringing lawsuits about fraud. They need access to information. They need a court to assist if it sees fraud. They don't have a grand jury. They don't have subpoena power. They don't have the FBI or the state equivalent behind them. They're litigating civ- uh, uh, um, cases in civil court or civil cases, not criminal cases. So it's very appalling the extent of the anger. And the attempt, the attempt to smear these lawyers who are doing their jobs, and we sat here for three and a half years on the Russia hoax, they didn't have signed affidavits. They even had criminal investigations. They had a grand jury. They had congressional hearings. They had the FBI involved. They had the intelligence agencies involved. And there was nothing there. These lawyers who are, who are uh, suing and, and investigating on behalf of the Trump campaign, they don't have any criminal investigatory powers. They don't have any grand juries. They don't have the FBI or the intelligence agencies or Congress behind them. They're on their own. And they're trying to look in these Democrat machines. And as I've been saying for weeks now, These reporters aren't in the field actually trying to find out what's going on. They're sitting back like opinion makers. Well, they didn't present us with this and they didn't present us with that. They laid out a strong legal foundation. If it gets to where it needs to go, nobody knows. We don't control the judiciary. We don't control the luck or the bad luck of how a district court judge is chosen or a panel on a circuit court is chosen or whether or not Supreme Court justices will do their jobs or not. Jonathan Turley goes on, and this is some magnificent conspiracy theory. Well, maybe he ought to educate himself, and I say it respectfully. I have article after article after article. I ran out of ink and paper on my pathetic little printer. Huffington Post, over and over again, articles. PBS. NBC, New York Times, USA Today. What are they concerned about? The Dominion voting systems. The PBS article, uh, excuse me, story I played for you in full. That was just a few weeks ago. I guess they fixed everything. And Dominion is linked and is part of a company... That was, in fact, set up by the Venezuelan regime and Hugo Chavez to steal elections. 
Canada Elections Department announces it doesn't use the controversial Dominion voting systems. Even though the headquarters is in Canada, they won't use it. Threats to Georgia elections loom despite new paper ballot voting. They have the Dominion voting system. Where did this appear? The Atlanta Journal Constipation. Will your ballot be safe? Computer experts sound warnings on America's voting machines. That's USA Today. USA Today. The black box voting machines, computer vote tampering and vote counting irregularities. That's the Huffington Post. I should send these articles to all these genius lawyers and commentators and reporters. I'll be right back. As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. This is Mark Levin wishing you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Now back to the best of me. By the way, anyone who disagrees with me on this, that's free to call and debate me. More than happy. It's very difficult to get people on here to debate, perfectly honest. But whether they be professor, former federal prosecutor, or reporter, I'm more than happy to do it. And uh, on a completely different subject, I posted, I believe it was earlier this evening a link to the Lost Dog and Cat Rescue Foundation. There are others out there, too, but that's the one I'm associated with. That's where I got Barney. And uh, this is our biggest charity. And we barely, uh, we barely tap the, uh, the surface. And we do everything we can. I feel like we can do more, but we do, to get as many dogs out of these kill shelters in these uh, ravaged areas as possible and to get them into foster homes and to get them adopted. And once I retire from behind the microphone and behind the TV camera, that will be my life's focus. It just is what it is. I'll be right back. As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. 
Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Thanksgiving. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Conspiracy theories, our friend Turley says, who has really no information. All this reporting of Dominion voting systems prior to the election by left-wing news outlets, concerns by left-wing senators, all silenced. Now it's conspiracy theories. The the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. Last time I checked, they're in Georgia. The selection this week of a $107 million electronic voting system that combines familiar touchscreen machines... With paper ballots was a big step for a state that continues to face criticism and legal challenges over its handling of the 2018 election. Yeah, right. That involves, of course, Stacey Abrams. But critics say the system will be vulnerable to hacking, and getting the machines ready in time for the statewide presidential primary march won't be easy. It goes on and on. They're not the only, on, the only ones. I told you as recently, and I played it for you. It's October 26. PBS did a whole seven-minute, eight-minute segment on it. USA Today. Will your ballot be safe? Computer experts sound warnings on America's voting machines. Must be kooks over there. Huffington Post, left wing. The black box voting machines, computer vote tampering and vote counting irregularities. Now you know damn well. If Biden were in the position of Trump and Trump was in the position of Biden, they would be accusing Trump and the Republicans of doing all these things. They're doing all these things. And the commentators on TV, including my favorite cable network and all the rest, will be sounding quite differently. All the, all the instances of fraud, they wouldn't dismiss them. No, we have uh, congressional Democrats raise security concerns about Dominion and other voting machine companies. I told you about this yesterday at Just the News, John Solomon's outstanding site. And they quote them. They wrote multiple letters. I quoted them to you yesterday. Huffington Post, exclusive on the heels of Diebold Premier Purchase. Canadian e-voting firm Dominion also acquires Sequoia. Lies about Chavez ties and announcement. Wow, that must be a conspiracy. Not a conspiracy, it's fact. 
And we hear nothing anymore about the intervention in our elections by the Russians or the Chinese or the Iranians or the North Koreans. It's silent. It's the most perfect election in American history, despite the fact we have massive mail-in voting. Like we've never seen before. Which in 2005, the Carter-James Baker Commission said, is the most serious area where fraud occurs. No fraud, ladies and gentlemen. None. I know because they told me on TV it's okay. It's not a big deal. This isn't news that we're getting. It's commentary dressed up as news. And then during the break, I'm watching this guy, Trey Yinkst. I think it's Y-I-N-G-S-T, who's in the Middle East, Fox, I believe. I never met the man, but I've been watching his reporting. And, of course, he's very pro-Palestinian, like almost all the rest of the media. The New York Times, Washington Post, and so forth. You may not know this, but the Secretary of State, this is a remarkable man. He's a great man. He's in the Middle East. He's in Israel. And he decided, I'm going to go into Samaria, you know, Judea and Samaria. This is the, the historic center of the Jewish people. So, of course, Yingst calls it the West Bank. He's never going to call it by its historic name. The West Bank, a name that was given to it by the Jordanian government, because it was, quote-unquote, the West Bank of Jordan. And they keep calling it that. Then he tells us of these international decisions that these areas are considered Palestinian or these areas are considered uh, in dispute. They're not in dispute. Israel's not giving them away, ever. Palestinians have no claim to them. Not in the Bible, not anywhere. It's amazing. All over the world, indigenous people, indigenous, even in our own country, we talk about indigenous people, who have rights and, and we view them as victims. In the case of the Jews, they're viewed as the provocateurs. Now, if these areas that are considered, see, you see, Trey, I, I actually know the Oslo Accords and all the rest. This area that Pompeo visited is not in dispute. The Palestinians have portions of Judea and Samaria, huge portions. Then there's sort of no-go areas where sort of both sides, at least in past agreements, have no claim. And then there's the Jewish areas. And so Pompeo visited the Jewish areas, and this guy, Trey Yinks, basically said, these areas are in dispute, according to the international you know, law, international groups. What kind, of, what kind of nonsense is that? So Pompeo visits a winery there, the Sagat Winery which sells wine in our own country. It's very controversial, he says. No Secretary of State has ever done it. That's why he's a great man. Visited a winery in the West Bank, he was said to have done. Did something else extremely controversial, ladies and gentlemen. What did he do? He said, for now on, products shipped from Judea and Samaria by Jews... Will be, will be labeled products from the state of Israel, not from, you know, occupied territory, the West Bank, or however they wish to put it. That was said to be very, very controversial as well. 
Not only that, Pompeo announced that, look, we have these BDS movements that these anti-Semitic movements by these so-called nonprofit and other organizations. And as far as I'm concerned, Pompeo says, we've had it with this anti-Semitism. Any organization that is involved in this anti-Semitic movement, uh, we're going to make sure that they don't get funding of any kind from the federal government, the United States government. That was said to be controversial, too. By Trey Yingst. I know nothing about Trey Yingst. Except he's highly... highly partisan in the way that he reports. I was going to say something else, but I'll be restrained. Highly partisan. It was very painful to watch. But watch I did. I have a question. With the flick of a switch, all the concerns about the Dominion voting system are gone now. Now we have reports by reporters, Axios, which is a left-wing site and others, telling us how the Trump team's pathway is non-existent, how the Trump team is this. Do you know what this is all aimed at, ladies and gentlemen? The judges. The media are trying to influence the judges particularly on the U.S. Supreme Court with a case that's pending there. That's what they're doing. They're also trying to influence the outcome of the Georgia election for the two Senate seats. They don't want anything really dug into there. And they want to influence the outcome of the 2024 presidential race. There's no evidence of fraud or violations of the Constitution. Why should we change anything? People don't want to sign their ballots or forget. Or if they sign and they don't really match with the signature they gave before. Or they fail to get a postal stamp so we see that the vote came in on time. What's the problem? There's no evidence of fraud because they've taken fraud and they've institutionalized it. They've enshrined it. That's what they've done. No evidence of fraud here. It's all so legal. It's, it's all so Alice in Wonderland. And yet, as is pointed out at Town Hall by Guy Benson, yes, Democrats and media are hypocrites on Stacey Abrams and the sanctity of accepting election results. And Mary Catherine Hamm, in what is now a famous television clip on CNN, handed these fools their lunch. says here, her margin of loss to Republican Brian Kemp in Georgia was 54,723. Substantially larger than, he says, Joe Biden's lead over Donald Trump in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin combined. If those three states had voted slightly differently with all else equal, the Electoral College would have been deadlocked at 269. And the Democrat Party and the media have continued to promote the lie that Stacey Abrams actually won, and the vote was stolen from her. Where's the evidence for that? 54,723 votes. You can take the margin in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin combined. That's over 45,000 votes. 
Rather than recoiling in horror at her continual refusal to concede a race she lost, Abrams' party and media cheering section has handsomely rewarded her behavior. Democrats elevated her stature by selecting her as their official responder to the subsequent State of the Union address. Donors have showered her organizations and various initiatives with mounds of cash. She's been given glossy, glowing treatment, an endless string of magazine covers covers and fawning interviews. She's been feted by celebrities and turned into a Hollywood film producer. She's been empowered, enriched, and emboldened. Losing an election and refusing to concede in her case has made her famous and influential. And her shameless undermining of democracy is paid off in spades. Her profile has never been higher, to the point that she vaulted onto many analyst vice presidential shortlists, having only held office as a state representative. But mentioning any of this, even as Abrams is being glorified by the news media as a heroine for democracy, literally, as that same news media is aghast by Trump's lack of concession, is a bridge too far for the media. This is why you hate the media. This is why reporters would do well to try and actually report. There are more stories about this Dominion voting system that liberal Democrats, that governments, that others, experts, news organizations were very, very concerned about. But it's a, it just it worked so perfectly, Mr. Producer. There's no need for transparency, no need to get a hold of any of the software, no need to check any of it. No, no, no. It's a conspiracy theory. I know I heard it from a professor on television. There's no evidence of anything. I know I heard it from a former federal prosecutor. The, the entire press conference by Giuliani and the others was a complete fraud. No credible uh, explanation of a path. They didn't reveal enough uh, of fraud. Um, they didn't talk about the court cases that have been overturned. I heard this from about a 23-year-old reporter. So just roll it up. No canvassing, no recounts, no litigation, no constitutional challenges. And we'll just deal with it in two years and in four years. Right, America? Will that make you happy? No, it would infuriate you. For good reason. Three and a half years of this Russia hoax bullcrap. And now, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Where the, you've got hundreds of affidavits involving hundreds and hundreds of examples of fraud. Well, it doesn't add up. Look how they keep moving the pee in the shell game. No evidence? Not enough evidence. Where's the evidence? The same people who pushed the Russia hoax when there was no evidence, day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. Legal analysts, former federal prosecutors, former Justice Department officials telling us how serious this is. When there was nothing, we have signed sworn affidavits under penalty of perjury in civil actions, not criminal actions, civil actions. And this is the crap we get. I'll be right back. Lovin. As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. 
Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. This is the best of Mark Levin. Happy Thanksgiving. Breitbart, Republican canvassers rescind their votes to certify Wayne County, Michigan results. These two, these two Republican canvassers were viciously attacked as racist. They were threatened. They were intimidated. The woman, her child was threatened. And so they buckled. And then later they thought about it and they said, no, we're not going to give in to this. So they rescinded it. That should be a headline everywhere in this country. But they laugh at them. Trump campaign lawyer under protection from threats of harm. This is a single lawyer practitioner who was involved in that case in Pennsylvania. That's why Rudy had to fly in, among other reasons. She was threatened. She's now protected by the United States Marshals, among others, because she represented the Trump campaign in court, or was supposed to. I've heard nothing about this from the big media, from big tech, nothing. Or we have lawyers and law firms now being intimidated and threatened. This is disgusting. Waiting for John Turley and Annie McCarthy and Kristen Fisher and this guy in the Middle East, Trey Yinks, maybe others, maybe they'll comment on that. Maybe not. I, I, this is very perplexing to me. We had the FBI director, Ray, and the head of this cybersecurity group, whatever that is, warn us that the Russians were trying to sway the election for, for uh, Joe Biden and the Chinese were trying, excuse me, for Donald Trump, and the Chinese were trying to sway it for Trump. Uh, for, Chinese were trying to sway it for Biden. Russians for Trump. That's what they all said. Now we're told it's a fanciful conspiracy theory to even think they tried. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? Again, it's like a light switch, on and off. So the Russians didn't do anything? The Chinese didn't do anything? The Dominion voting system, which was attacked by at least two dozen different entities, members of Congress, security experts, some, uh, some experts in colleges, as well as, uh, as well as media organizations, now that's a conspiracy theory too? I'm telling you, you got to give credit to these lawyers. They're putting their necks on the line and they're being trashed, stabbed in the back at the same time. The media in this country are sickening. And there's a growing level of sickening media personalities out there. I'll be right back. 
from the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is Mark Levin wishing you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Now back to the best of me. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he asked me if I would sign a copy of his book, Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. This is a book that I wrote in 2016 and came out in 2017. So I did, and I decided to read the back cover. I don't always go back and read my books. Maybe I should. And here's what the back cover of this book says. And by the way, the great professor, Paul Kengor, is going to be using this course, uh, excuse me, this book in a, in a course that he teaches at Grove City. Good man. And here's part of what I put in the epilogue. The epilogue, three years ago. I confess that I often wonder what America will become in 50 or 100 years. I should have taken a zero off of that, but here you go. What will the future hold for our children and grandchildren? Will they be free, happy, prosperous, independent, and secure? What will be left of our constitutional system? Will the Bill of Rights have the force of law? What about property rights? Will they matter? How many will remember or care to learn about our founding principles as concisely and brilliantly set forth in the Declaration of Independence? How many remember or care today? And what of the civil society or the social compact? Will it have frayed beyond repair? Will we have been conquered from within as Thomas Jefferson, Joseph Story, and Abraham Lincoln feared might be our fate? Will we have avoided the doom of Athens and Rome? If we're honest with ourselves, we must agree that the outcome is unclear. The reason? A century or so of progressive governance and schemes targeting the uniqueness of America, including its founding principles and Republican system. Future generations will look back on what we have done and know the answers. They will draw their judgments about this generation and record them in their history books. What lessons will they have learned? What will they say about us? Will they say that we were a wise and conscientious people who understood and appreciated the blessings of our existence and surroundings and prudentially and conscientiously cared for them? Or will they say that we were a self-indulgent and inattentive people, easily shepherded in one direction or another, who stole the future from our own children and generations yet born and squandered an irreplaceable heritage? on the back cover the rediscovering Americanism I worry that we'll be able to answer many of those questions depending on how recent events turn out now I want to talk a little bit about evidence a little bit about as evidence. We keep hearing demands for evidence. We hear it from left-wing reporters. We hear it from Democrats and Republicans. We hear it from our friend Tucker. We hear it from everybody. I understand. Where's the evidence? Not just evidence. Overwhelming evidence. 
I want to explain something, and I'll do it on the Sunday show as well. To file a civil complaint, that's what we're talking about, civil litigation. And what concerns me is the ignorance of people on TV and radio and obviously in the Democrat Party, media, and the ignorance or the unwitting deception of former federal prosecutors and professors on television. To file a civil complaint, you need a reasonable basis in fact and law. Allegations can be made on information and belief. Now, a motion to dismiss by the defense tests the legal sufficiency of the complaint. So assuming everything in the complaint is true, this is how the judge looks at it. Does it state a claim upon which relief can be granted? So for a motion to dismiss, everything is assumed to be true and all reasonable inferences are granted to the plaintiff. We've had some cases dismissed that were very solid cases out west, among other places, that all these commentators really haven't looked at and they haven't read. And so judges need to follow the rules. And in some cases, they're not. But that's a side point. Expedited discovery. Expedited discovery can be granted by a court, and it often is. When injunctive relief is sought, a temporary restraining order and or preliminary injunction, depending on the need for prompt resolution, that discovery can be ordered immediately, right in court, from the judge sitting in his chair. Courts have the power to speed discovery along and very fast. So you don't have to go, and most people don't go into court, file civil complaint with reams and reams of quote-unquote evidence. Do you want to know why? Because there hasn't been discovery yet. They're trying to gather enough information where it looks like a reasonable basis exists in fact and law to the allegations that are being made. Now, it's great if you can have sworn affidavits, and the Trump campaign has hundreds and hundreds of sworn affidavits. But you don't have to have sworn affidavits. And you certainly don't have to have a ton of evidence. When you hear people on TV and radio going on and on, where's your evidence, Where you're at? where's your evidence, discovery hasn't even taken place. And then they say, well, then what's your point? They don't even understand how the civil litigation side of our justice system works. What do you mean, what's the point? I have enough information here to make an allegation based on a reasonable basis in fact and law. And we want the opportunity to pursue our lawsuit and to conduct discovery. Written discovery, document demands, depositions, whatever it takes. And we'd like to conduct discovery very, very quickly on a very fast schedule. And at that point, you can, in fact, get subpoenas. Right now, none of that exists unless a court allows it to exist. So again, the next time you hear a 25-year-old reporter or a host demand, where's the evidence, where's the evidence? And there's not enough evidence. You know, in many cases, they're ignoramuses who do not understand the process. I'll give you another example. Let's take this Dominion Voters system, or any of these voting systems, pick any of them. 
An unexplained significant deviation from expected results. Mathematical inconsistency supported by experts. Experts who look at the information. True experts. Who file affidavits and file reports. That should be more than sufficient. More than sufficient. If they're credible individuals filing credible reports, raising questions to establish a reasonable basis to file a complaint and justify fast discovery. I only point this out because I'm I'm getting so frustrated and worn out by watching so-called legal analysts on TV and then individuals who have neither a law background nor a comprehensive uh, or, or any understanding of how litigation works, pounding their fists on the table, demanding evidence. I must have the evidence. Well, if you have the evidence, you don't need discovery. And yet discovery is what's needed. That's why they're going to court. That's why they're providing information, allegations based on information and belief, a reasonable basis in fact and law to pursue discovery. And judges need to comply with the law, too. That the rules of procedure. That's all the campaign's asking for. And so you have that. That deals with allegations of fraud. And it also deals with a desire to look at these voting systems. To make sure they're accurate. And if you have... Experts coming out of Princeton, experts at uh, security measures, experts on statistics, mathematical inconsistencies, and so forth and so on. That should be enough. Well, where's your evidence? Where is it? I want the evidence. Where is the evidence? Well, then they get to pursue discovery. It'd be wonderful if somebody handed them 150,000 ballots and said, look at this. These are all printed in China. It never works that way. So that's just stupid. So this is the test that applies in the fraud cases. And this is the test that would apply with Dominion voting systems and the other voting systems. Okay? Number two. A constitutional claim. This is a separate bucket. The Constitution says at Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, in this audience, you've memorized this already. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors, equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. In other words, the electors to the Electoral College. Is it going to be the Democrat electors or the Republican electors? Now, what does that mean exactly? Why would the framers of the Constitution and the ratifiers in the states want this specific language? Because it focuses on the legislature. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the fact is that the framers of the Constitution knew that they would have to focus on the legislature because otherwise the state conventions would never have ratified this Constitution. Remember, the states were creating this new federal government. They were not going to abandon or surrender their power over setting election laws. How do I know that? Because I went back and I read. 
I read some of the debates and discussions at the ratification conventions. That's why that language is in there. There's nothing about state judges, federal judges, a governor, secretary of state, boards of elections, which they never heard of before. No, 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 no. Not even the U.S. Supreme Court. The legislature has the final say. And so what you have, and there's a reason for that, among other things, what you have in Pennsylvania and what you have in Georgia with a consent decree are changes in the election laws, the status quo, that were set in place by the state legislature as is required under the federal constitution. You have changes being made by courts, by governors, by secretaries of state, and by bureaucrats. All of which are unconstitutional. And for John Roberts to take a pass on this three or four weeks ago is appalling. What the Supreme Court should still say is it is a violation of Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 for anybody but the legislature to create the state election laws. Otherwise, we're going to have chaos for the rest of time, and people are not going to trust the outcome of these elections, and I don't blame you. Number two is the Equal Protection Clause. It's in the 14th Amendment. It's in the 5th Amendment. As applies to the states, it's in the 14th Amendment. Bush versus Gore, they even raised it, the 5-4 to majority. Well, what does that mean? That means you must treat voters the same. You can't have special privileges and special information for certain voters and not others. And so in several of these states, they changed the rules. Again, again in Pennsylvania, as an example. One example. You had the Radical Democrat Secretary of State telling the various election boards in the various counties that are Democrat, mostly counties, like in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, to cure the ballots. That is to open them before Election Day, which already violates state law, if there are problems, contact the voter and have them either file a new ballot or correct the ballot that was filed. That was not done in Republican areas for the most part. That's a clear violation of the Equal Protection Clause. And there are several other examples of this. Now, shouldn't we pursue these things or should we just stop? Georgie says he's done the recount. They didn't check the the signatures. All they did is count the same ballots. Now, they came up short a few thousand, but all they did is count the same ballots. That's not what the Trump administration is seeking. They want to know if the signatures match, among other things. They've been told too bad. More when I return. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. listening to the best of the Mark Levin show. Happy Thanksgiving. Try to walk through this in a careful way uh, so people understand there's been a ton of misinformation and disinformation out there about how litigation works. Some of the reporters on all the stations have been absolutely awful. Uh, Some of the hosts are are, uh, are venting and pounding tables and making demands because they don't understand how this works. Uh, And you need to take the time to really understand it. Uh, You don't just, oh, look at this, evidence. It doesn't work that way. You hope it does, but it doesn't. All right, more when I return. Are you an individual or business owner facing the heavy burden of back taxes, levies, or wage garnishments? Life's challenges, especially those brought on by the economic impact of COVID-19 and inflation, can take a toll on your financial well-being. Now, the IRS has eliminated over a billion dollars in tax penalties and interest for back taxes. America First Tax Group is here to help you claim your share of these billions in tax relief before the IRS can claim the government's share and clamp down. Call them now, 800-806-1299. The IRS has people working to collect your money, but it's time to turn the tables, folks. America First Tax Group is a full-service tax boutique that puts clients first. They understand the stress of dealing with tax problems, and they will be your guide through the process. Don't wait. Time is of the essence. Call America First Tax Group. Here's the number, 800-806-1299, 800-806-1299, or visit AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin. This is the best of Mark Levin. Happy Thanksgiving. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. I think I'm going to dip in and out of philosophy as we go forward in the program because I think it relates. John Stuart Mill. Ever hear of John Stuart Mill? Brilliant man. He wrote on liberty. And as I write again in Rediscovering Americanism, I'm not encouraging you to buy, you don't have to buy anything. I'm, I'm handling this right here. He was writing and alive around the time that Marx and Engels were, Hegel, Rousseau, who really believed in the, uh, the abandonment of the individual for the state, even though they would argue that it was for the individual. And Will, Mill witnessed... In the 1800s, the growing influence and tyrannical threat of the so-called reformers, and what would later include the progressives, and he addressed them like this. He said, Some of those modern reformers who have placed themselves in strongest opposition to the religions of the past have been no way behind either churches or sects in their assertion of the right of spiritual domination. Their aims at establishing a despotism of society over the individual surpasses anything contemplated in the political ideal of the most rigid disciplinarian among the ancient philosophers. 
He's saying even the ancient philosophers, the great thinkers of mankind, never imagined communism or things like communism. He said, in fact, as Mill was writing his books and essays, I said, the ideologies of Rousseau, Hegel, and Marx, among others, were taking tangible political form at the urging of intellectuals throughout the world, including in the West, including in the United States. Marxism, Hegelism, Rousseauism, ladies and gentlemen, gave birth to the modern Democrat Party, to the so-called progressives. It runs completely contrary to our founding principles in our Constitution. Mill wrote, apart from the peculiar tenets of individual thinkers, there is also in the world at large an increasing inclination to stretch unduly the power of society over the individual, both by the force of opinion and even by that of legislation. And as the tendency of all the changes taking place in the world is to strengthen society and diminish the power of the individual, this encroachment is not one of the evils which tend spontaneously to disappear, but on the contrary to grow more and more formidable. This disposition of mankind, whether as rulers or as fellow citizens, to impose their own opinions and inclinations as a rule of conduct on others, is so energetically supported by some of the best and by some of the worst feelings incident to human nature, that it is hardly ever kept under restraint by anything but one of power. And as the power is not declining but growing, Unless a strong barrier of moral conviction can be raised against this mischief, we must expect in the present circumstances of the world to see it increase. I'd say he was prescient, wouldn't you, Mr. Producer? It's about 170 years ago, give or take. He saw it as much as the framers saw it, the tyranny not just of the monarchy, but the tyranny of the mob. When you have the Washington Post writing a really barely literate tome in its editorial page to get rid of the Electoral College, that tells you everything you need to know. This is not a democracy, and it must never be a democracy, or we won't have a Bill of Rights. People don't get to vote up or down on the structure of the Constitution, on whether you have unalienable rights, and that this is where we're headed when they're talking about Effectively burning down the Supreme Court, burning down the United States Senate, burning down this, that, and the other institution. In order to advance the neo-Marxist and Marxist ideology, today called progressivism, but it's not. You must eliminate the barriers that are set up in a republic. And in our republic, it's set up in the Constitution. You must destroy them. This is why I get angry, more than frustrated, angry when I hear Republicans... Oh, come on, let's get over it with the vote. There are ch- legitimate challenges taking place. They're ready to surrender at every turn. We're fighting for our republic. And as I said at the beginning of the show, what are our children and grandchildren going to say? What are future generations going to say? What are they going to write about us? As I say, during the course of this Friday program, I'll be touching on philosophy here and then rather than straight through. It was a great honor to interview the President of the United States on September 20th. Seems like yesterday. 
and I do seriously consider him one of the great presidents, for reasons that will be written about when we live in more sober times. We now know a vaccine is going to be available literally in days, maybe weeks, but likely days for distribution. As a result of Operation Warp Speed, the administration working with the private sector, the administration clearing out the red tape and all the clutter that exists at the FDA and the NIH and the Infectious Disease Office and all the rest of it. The president and his people did this despite the fact that they were under endless attack. They were mocked by people who know nothing. And he already has produced tens of millions of vials, syringes, and units for the vaccine, even before they knew if it was effective, just assuming it might be, and multiple vaccines, I might add. Very difficult in terms of transportation. The Pfizer vaccines have to be 70 degrees below zero. Well, then you don't just throw them in the back of a pickup truck and deliver them, do you? The Moderna vaccine has to be at freezing. Again, it requires special transport. And so all this has been worked out already. And unfortunately, it was all announced after the election. And I believe that was intentional. And so the man who is responsible for leading this effort is now fighting in the courts. To uphold the Constitution. This whole vaccine issue at the time, the way the Democrats were treating it, was really appalling. It was unconscionable. With a president is literally trying to save lives beyond masks and social distancing and all the rest. He understood the president that it's going to take a vaccine and it's going to take therapeutics to address this viral enemy. So here, I want you to listen to this in my interview with the president on September 20th. Cut to go. I want to start with the the vaccine. I'm watching the news coverage. And for some reason, the media and the Democrats are very hostile to a vaccine. They're very hostile to a vaccine coming out quickly. They're trying to politicize this. The nine CEOs of these pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer, have said, we're not cutting corners, we're following the science. Why do you think there's such hostility from the Democrat Party, from my perspective, in the media about getting a vaccine in record time? They want to denigrate it. This started about three weeks ago because they started hearing rumors that we were going to have this vaccine in super record time. So instead of saying, wow, that's great, it's going to save a lot of lives and people are going to be protected and this whole thing will end faster, it's going to end anyway, but it's going to end faster. They started denigrating. I noticed it about three weeks. They started denigrating it. And the reason they're doing that is because they think I'll get credit if we have a vaccine anywhere near the election, but certainly before the election. But essentially, we're there now anyway, and we're ready to distribute very rapidly. So what they're doing is trying to make it like, ah, that's not such a big deal, when actually it's one of the greatest things that anyone's done. And I'm not saying me. I'm saying anyone. It's so incredible. It's so important. And they've done it in record time. If this were a typical administration, this vaccine wouldn't be ready for two or three years because of the FDA process. I have totally changed the FDA process. Same safety, 
But the speed is from a different world, and we should have the vaccine approved very soon, up and approved. Plus, we have many companies doing it, great companies, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna. Uh, we have many companies doing it, and almost all of them are having, these, so far, seemingly very good results. They're in phase three trial. That means we're right at the end of the process, really looking good, and could be really early. And so all of a sudden, instead of saying, wow, this is great news, we're going to have the vaccine early, they're saying, oh, the vaccine's coming out too soon, it's going to be unsafe, it's going to be all of these things, it has nothing to do with the safety. These are great companies. They're not going to put themselves on the line. They would have tremendous liability. He was so right. And what was being done to him in this effort was so unconscionable. It's the only word I can think of. And the president today at the White House, again, absolutely right, cut three, go. This is not an easy thing to do. Big Pharma ran millions of dollars of negative advertisements against me during the campaign, which I won, by the way, but, you know, we'll find that out. Uh, Almost 74 million votes. We had Big Pharma against us. We had the media against us. We had Big Tech against us. Uh, we had a lot of dishonesty against us. But Big Pharma alone ran millions and millions of dollars in ads. In fact, I looked at it and I said, who is it? Uh, they, uh, I've never seen anything quite like it because I told them I'm going to have to do this. You know, I was put here to do a job. And Pfizer and others were way ahead on vaccines. You wouldn't have a vaccine if it weren't for me for another four years because FDA would have never been able to do what they did, what I forced them to do. And Pfizer and others even decided to not assess the results of their vaccine. In other words, not come out with a vaccine until just after the election. Now, let's stop right there. This this is what's so disgusting. This is what's so outrageous. And rather than Mitt Romney, who is another media whore, out there throwing bricks at the president of the United States, demanding that he concede, Mitt Romney who really has always been kind of a stupid guy, to be perfectly honest with you. He was always in his father's shadow, and most of what he has accomplished was a result of his father, both in business and politics, but that aside. Be nice, admit Romney had used his position to also talk about the vaccines that were coming, but he wouldn't. Be nice at Ben Sass, Mr. Phony Constitutionalist, rather than attacking the president, would have been supportive of this effort, and we'll be speaking out about it now. I despise these people. And each day that goes by, I despise them even more. They contribute nothing to this society. Just a bunch of big mouths. They contribute nothing to the health and well-being of this country. They're self-righteous blowhards. That's exactly what they are. There is no way a Mitt Romney would have been able to run an Operation Warp Speed. He would have been devoured by the bureaucracy in two seconds. There is no way a Ben Sass would have been able to do it either. He'd still be looking for the men's room. I don't know of any president, Republican or Democrat, who would have been able to achieve this. None. And here I'm interviewing him about, what is it, seven weeks, give or take, before the election? He's telling the American people... 
We're very close. We're very close. And he was accused by the Democrats of politicizing the vaccine. That he was doing it too fast. That he was avoiding health and safety concerns. That he was doing it because of his election. And as it turns out, he was doing it to save lives. And it was the companies who sat on the results until after the election. Moderna and Pfizer. Moderna and Pfizer. And I don't know the amount for Moderna off the top of my head, but Pfizer got $1.9 billion in your dollars. And the reason why they're going to be distributing this vaccine in a matter of days, if not weeks, is because it's been produced. The government under Donald Trump already paid for millions and millions of units of this vaccine and the delivery technologies. It was in the works this summer. There is no way Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or any of the Marxists and neo-Marxists or the front people for the Marxists or the neo-Marxists would have done any of this. They'd be busy nationalizing these companies. They'd be busy locking down the economy, demanding you wear masks, telling you not to go to Thanksgiving, telling you not to travel. Because they don't know what the hell to do other than use the iron fist. And God forbid if they take over the presidency and the Senate. Because we the people will pay a price. Almost 74 million of us are going to pay the price of the ignoramuses who voted for tyranny. Let's hope not. I'll be right back. Have you gotten your letter from the IRS yet? These last few years have not been easy on the American family. And with tax season finally arriving, there'll be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them. Well, America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-806-1299. Hello, 800-806-1299. And you'll be in touch with the America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS and help put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-806-1299. That's 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin. Again, 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com. Dot com slash L-E-V-I-N. This is Mark Levin wishing you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Now back to the best of me. You know, when you read as much as I do, like for instance, this weekend, what am I going to do? Read. Research. Study. This is what I do. When you do as much of that as I do, and you do it your entire life, and you see the horizon of mankind, you see almost the beginning of mankind, even pre-ancients, then the ancients, and you move into, towards our period here, the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, which isn't that long ago. And then you look at the United States and you say, my God, 
this is this is the hope diamond of civilization for thousands of years and then you realize you're one election away from destroying it it's hard to sleep at night I can tell you that right now it's hard to sleep at night and to know that we might be outnumbered it's just a it's just a shocking wake-up call what from here on we're one election away one election we can't win every single election for the Senate or the presidency and so forth and they've even fixed that system I don't mean reformed I mean fixed it toward a certain outcome From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Thanksgiving. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. A petition circulating, Fox Business reports, at Harvard to stop former Trump administration officials from attending, teaching, or speaking at the university. Petition circulating in the Harvard University student body seeks to ban Trump administration officials from teaching, speaking, or attending the institution because of their association with the president. Tell me, America, do you want to pay off their student loans? How about you, Mr. Producer? Bunch of snob asses like this? I don't want anything to do with them, let alone pay off their student loans. The petition discovered by Fox Business Lydia Moynihan represented the latest attempt to punish Trump associates. Students are demanding that if the university does associate with a Trump alumnus, they'll, quote, create and share with students transparent guidelines for why. Guidelines. Guidelines. What are they teaching at Harvard? Maoism? Stalinism? Leninism? Even worse? Harvard, like other colleges, has been accused of censoring conservative viewpoints. No, 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 no. Surely not. Last year, the university came under fire for requiring a neutral so-called moderator to be present for controversial speakers. You know, kind of like Facebook and Twitter. Didn't we get whacked by Facebook and Twitter again, or just Facebook, Mr. Producer? I posted a link to Doug Ross, great guy, statistician, really IT guy, who went through a number of charts, a number of models, and went through the, the kind of voting that was taking place in certain areas, questioning it, and they just said it was flat-out false, didn't they? Am I restricted? What does that mean? Oh, nobody's, And for how long will nobody see me unless they go to my page? We'll be leaving Facebook very soon, ladies and gentlemen. Please join us over at Parlor. 
at Mark Levin show at Parlor. We're going to be, I'm not kidding. I'm just trying to milk them for everything they're worth, the stupid bastards. They let us go on their site to tell you to get off their site and come over to Parlor. And by the end of the year, that's what we're doing. Maybe sooner. Notice that guy with his weird haircut, and he looks like he's about 14 years old, Zuckerberg. And he's there, and he, he acts like, we're not doing anything wrong. No, no, we just want to make sure this, side or the other. You're restricted. You're censored. You're labeled. They've picked up a lot from the genocidal communist regime in China. They've picked up a lot of bad habits over there. Back to Harvard, where liberty isn't what it used to be either. The policy reportedly allowed the moderator to impose a two-strike rule on interruptions and had to be registered with a dean of students a month in advance. An editorial for the Harvard Crimson, a student-run newspaper, blasted the policy. You know what? The Harvard Crimson believes more in freedom of the press than most of the media in this country. And its other aspects as paternalistic, ineffective, and contrary to the college's stated goals of free speech let alone the Constitution, of course. Representative Alexander and others have already encouraged the creation of an apparent blacklist of people who helped President Trump during his time in office. Is anyone archiving these Trump sycophants for when they try to downplay or deny their complicity, she said? No, but we're keeping a list of your stupid remarks because you truly are low IQ. Two Democratic operatives responded by touting the Trump Accountability Project, which seeks to prevent Trump associates from profiting off of their time helping his administration. Look at what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. The fascists are on the move. Marxism, fascism, really, they have the same core, even though they apply it differently. Just look at, the, look at them. I mean, Antifa should be knocking at the door of Harvard University. The Antifa should be knocking at the door of Each. If they're serious about being anti-fascist, but of course they are the fascists. And so this is part and parcel of what's going on. Now, another issue I wanted to raise. This is from our friends at Breitbart. Report. Republican Senators Cornyn and Grassley. Grassley apparently has the coronavirus right now. Hint at immigration deal with Joe Biden. This is how it works. Even before Biden is certified, his electors, even before he's inaugurated, even before the fat lady sings, they want a deal. They don't know how to deal. Trump knows how to deal. They don't know how to deal. I hate to say Pelosi knows how to fight. These guys don't know how to fight. So already they're buckling. They want a deal, which means they're going to get their asses kicked all over Capitol Hill. That's the nature of the beast. So Cornyn already and others have buckled. They want a deal. The Hill reports, quote, I think that would be a good thing to do, John Cornyn said, about the potential to do immigration next year. The challenge is you've got to get the votes. But that, to me, is one of my biggest disappointments in my time in the Senate, our inability to get that done. Adding that he would try to be part of the effort, the topic comes back up. Grassley said such a deal would need to be somewhere in between the vocal open borders wing of the Democrat Party and the immigration reformers of the Republican Party. They don't have to worry, do they, Mr. Producer? Didn't Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and the rest say 
basically it's open season if people want to come in here legally. So I don't know what they plan to negotiate. Not only that, by the time they're done, they'll have free college, free health care, and they'll be treated as United States citizens. They'll eventually get citizenship. So why would the Democrats negotiate with a couple long-in-the-tooth Republicans? Certainly not in goodwill and certainly not in any uh, serious way. It's really amazing. They're ready to negotiate already when the Democrats have already said, you know, there's going to be mass immigration into this country, including illegal immigration. In fact, Biden also said no deportations in the first hundred days. So when you're telling people all over the world, 7 billion people, 6 billion of whom live in poverty, when you're telling them, if you get here, we're not going to remove you. If you get here, free education. If you get here, free health care. If you get here, you'll be treated pretty much as a citizen. Well, then why would we have any negotiations on immigration? Biden also says he wants the people who are already here illegally to be addressed specifically and eventually to have citizenship. So we're talking about tens of millions of people. Now, why did the Democrat Party do this? 12 years ago, 15 years ago, 13, whatever it was, they strongly opposed giving citizenship to illegal aliens. They strongly supported border security. Because they were protecting their big friends in big labor. Big labor back then didn't want all these illegal immigrants here because it undermined the wages and the benefits of their members. Now, because public se- uh, excuse me, private sector unionism is waning, Biden has two plans. One, force major corporations and then smaller corporations to unionize their workforce, whether their workforce wants it or not. Eliminate right-to-work laws, where the employees actually get to choose whether they want to be union or not, and the vast majority choose not. And number two, the unions want illegal aliens to be able to work so they can be unionized and pay dues. So you always have to look into context of this. People say follow the money. That's fine. Follow the money. But the end game is power. What can empower the Democrat Party? What can empower the potentates of the Democrat Party? Whether they use race or climate change or immigration, whether they use health care, whatever it is, it all has the same purpose. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. 
That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Thanksgiving. Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Lessig, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Mark. It's a pleasure. I'm a little perplexed, though. I want to read the first paragraph of your column. The conservative radio talk show host Mark Levin has tweeted in all caps call for state legislatures, quote, get ready to do your constitutional duty. Levin believes they have, quote, the final say, unquote, on which slate of presidential electors gets to vote in the Electoral College. Under this theory, even more people in the state, even if more people in the state voted for the Democrat, Jim ba- uh, Joe Biden, their legislature would still have the power to pick a slate of Donald Trump electors. When did I say that? Well, I thought that's what people understood your tweet to be saying. People have been lying about my tweet for two weeks. And I've come on this program and I've explained that under my view, the state legislature passed election laws. And the state legislature has the right to enforce its election laws that a Supreme Court in the state, that a, a Secretary of State, that a governor that couldn't get what he wanted through the legislature, had no right to change the laws that the legislature put in place. And from my perspective, and maybe some of the members of the Supreme Court, the votes cast under the existing election laws, not those changed by the Supreme Court and the others, is the manner in which you count and thereby choose the electors. You disagree with that? I agree with that completely. Well, that was so my point. What's, well, what's interesting is your point's been fundamentally misunderstood, not just by me. I mean, just today, uh, the president's lawyer... Forget about uh, the president. Objective. Hey, hey, hey. I, arguing in the alternative, the president's lawyer, what Axios said, I have spent two weeks trying to straighten this out. You should have called me on the phone or contacted me and said, here's, here's what the Constitution says. And, Professor, you know, but I want the audience to know. The, uh, the Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature there have made direct a number of electors. What I said was, reminder to the Republican state legislatures, you have the final say over the choosing of electors. I didn't say they should select electors. They should enforce the law. They have well, the final say. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, so we agree. We agree they should not, they don't have the ability to select electors then after the election. Well, I can debate that with you, but it's law. not relevant to my point. Go ahead. What, what, okay, but, but, you know, when you say that the state legislatures have, quote, the final say, that's not true. Yes, it what is. What has the final say is the law under which the electors are selected. But the the law isn't being followed. But, Professor, let's deal in reality. The law they passed isn't being followed. That's one of the reasons they're running it up to the Supreme Court and Alito issued his order twice. The law is not being followed, so somebody needs to step in. And I would even go further with you and say this. Even the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't have the final say. The state legislature has the final say. They have the right to enforce. They have the right to say... The decision by the state Supreme Court is null and void. The effort by the governor is lawless. 
even if the U.S. Supreme Court rules against us, this is what the Constitution says. Yes? Yeah, no, I don't think that's a role of a legislature. I think the legislature gets to say what the rules are, and they have. And the Constitution says they have to have selected electors on a particular day. Uh, hold on, so wait, 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 wait. we'll rules, get to that in a minute. That wasn't my question, Professor. I'm talking about, we'll get to the, to the electors' day. My question to you, and that's not even relevant yet, but I'm happy to discuss it with you. My question to you is, who has the final say? Who has the final say? The final say is the law. And so the question is how the law is applied. And the law has determined the method by which electors are selected. Okay, there's a dispute over who has the say. Who has the final say? Yeah, you don't have legislatures reviewing the application of the law. That's a fundamental violation of separation of powers. No, it's not. In this case, the framers fundamentally stated the legislature shall. They didn't, they didn't have any concept of what the Supreme Court would be like it is today, or even state courts. If they didn't function that way. I went, through, I went through, Professor, the various ratification debates. I study this. I know you're the expert. I study it. And I went through Madison's notes. There is nothing here, nothing, that gives judicial review to Article 2 in this section. Zero. And they specifically named the state legislature. Why do they do that? Right. But they they set the state legislature, they gave the state legislature the power to, quote, select the manner that the electors shall be uh, appointed. So the court um, changes, a court the changes it, then what? But the selecting the manner is different from reviewing the application of the law. There is no precedent that the legislature well, gets to review the law. Right? What do you mean That's there's no precedent? There was no precedent at the time this was written. What you're saying is I'm looking at it through the lens of today. And I don't mind, you're saying, judicial activism if I get the result I want. Isn't that really what you're saying? No, I'm, I'm saying that there has never been a case in the history of America where the legislature has asserted the power to interpret its law and change or direct how electors are selected. Never what happened. I'm sa- so what I'm saying to you, Professor, something. is we now have reached a point like we've never had in the history of America, where we have litigation in 40 states trying to overturn what legislatures have done over the course of the last several years. Can you name another time in American history when that's taken place? Well, there's been huge. Yeah, of course I can. You can when? you can lead to the point that around the Lochner period, there was endless litigation to overturn. I what said the about how electors are chosen. There was not endless litigation over Article Two, Section One, Clause Two. There certainly True. was that's not. Brand new. That's brand new. That's okay. a, that's a creation of this election cycle. All right. Now let let me talk about this election date, which has absolutely nothing to do with what I've been talking about. You say, well, look. There's another part of the Constitution, you're quite right, that says, look, we've got to pick a date when we have these elections, right? Fair enough. When the elections are appointed, yes. We have a date when have we have elections, elections, right? Elections, right? They don't right? have to be elections. No, no, no. No, Congress determines the time of the choosing of electors. The electors can be chosen by the legislature, that's possible, or they can be chosen by an election. That, that's a choice for the legislature to make. And every legislature is chosen to select them by an election. So can Congress, a court, that's the can a court change that, that? Sorry? Can a court change that? No, of course it can't. But a court can change the way that electors are selected? No, it can't. Okay, so you agree with me that the Pennsylvania... Hold on now. Then you, you agree with me then that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's action was unconstitutional? No, because the question is whether it was a change or not. 
This is the whole ambiguity that Bush v. Gore created. Forget about Bush v. Gore, and I happen to agree with you. I never liked Bush v. Gore, because I thought in the end Congress would make the decision. Quite frankly, I did. Me too. That would have been so much better. You know what's interesting about you and me? You're a leftist, and I'm an originalist. And we agree on a lot of stuff, like Convention of States. I've been kind of bumping into you, but I never really have talked to you, I don't think. I would love to talk about that. That's a great idea, and I will do that another day. What you're trying to do, we'll do that another day. But next time, when you write something like this, where my name's in it, I can't even count how many times. Why don't you check in with me rather than reading these crap media reports that complete? One guy wrote it at Vox, and I can't stop it. The next guy writes it, and the next guy writes it, and the next. I'm going. Who are they talking about? They're not talking about me. Yeah. I this just thought important. I'd mention that. This is really important, uh, Mark, because um, if, it's, if we agree on this, then that's an important point to make clear to everyone, that when people are pointing to you and your authority for the suggestion that the president's uh, team can get state legislatures to pick a new slate of electors, No, what I'm agree. saying is the law that existed before the courts got involved is the law that should apply. Hold on. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is Mark Levin wishing you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Now back to the best of me. Mark Levin, America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Harvard professor Lawrence Lessig, actually, you could tell he's a very nice man. And the people I know who know him, and I don't know a lot, it's not in that, in that respect. So he's a very good man. I think he is, too. And I'd like to bring him on in a couple minutes, to, uh, minutes, couple months to discuss some other issues, too. I think it could be actually quite enjoyable, like Convention of States and so forth. XM Satellite, Eric in Dayton, Ohio. Go right ahead, please. How are you doing, sir? All right, my friend. Go right ahead. I was looking today at uh, American Thinker. It's in the code. Trump won Michigan and uh, Wisconsin. Uh, I have a question about... Wait, 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 wait. What's in the code? I'm sorry. What are you talking about? Uh, there are two timestamps where in five minutes' time... All right, thanks for your call. Look, look, I can't have callers who are out there just throwing stuff against the wall. There are serious issues in both those states. I don't know nothing about two timestamps. I don't want everybody calling with every idea that they're reading on the Internet. 
I mean, as a trained lawyer and stuff like that, I've got to have more than that. That's why I've brought serious people on this program. Sidney Powell's been on the program. Lynn Wood's been on the program. We had invited Rudy, but he had to get it, it, it quickly take a jet because the hearing went later than, than typical. Nobody's arguing that in a single case. Um, so this stuff's hard enough. And one of the things the lawyers on the ground have to do, which makes it extremely time-consuming, is to vet people, to analyze what they're saying, to make sure they're on the up and up, and then persuade them to sign an affidavit, preferably not anonymously, under penalty of perjury. So you can present it to a judge. This is why I get so frustrated with these commentators. Well, that's a one-off. What do you mean it's a one-off? They're saying they saw a pattern. They're saying they saw a broad case of this and so forth. And any decent judge particularly a trial judge, federal or state, would give them the opportunity to conduct some discovery, or even from the bench, order some discovery. But that's becoming difficult to get. And so that you have people on the sidelines shooting spitballs at them. Unless you come up with 200,000 ballots, that's it, it's over, show us the evidence, that's the case. These are people who don't litigate or never have in any significant way. Or you have people who have, but they've turned Hollywood. I'm just being honest. All right, Mr. Producer, who's next? Wait a minute. I think I... Hold on. Hold on, America. Hold on. You're able to watch this with me. Let's see here. Enter there. My God, it showed up. Let us go to Dave, Los Angeles, California, on XM Satellite. Go. Yellow. Yellow. Hi, Mark. You're a hero and a patriot. Thank you. Uh, Mark, I've, I've litigated for 35 years, and I, I agree with you about discovery. And the one thing I wanted to, to put out there is, in my view, the key to proving fraud in these five cities. It was five cities in which the Democrats claim they turned this election. And the discovery that we need now is to see the mail ballot envelopes and do the signature checks that were required in the law by the law of every one of these states. Do it now. And the, there is a remedy for that. If we find fraudulent envelopes, then... Ballot- First of all, you're quite right. I think, I think you're sniffing down the right trail. Uh, <clears throat> except there's one problem. They, 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 many of them threw away the envelopes. Well, so as a, as, a, as a practicing litigator, you know what that means. That means they did that intentionally. That's, well, that's spoliation of evidence, Mark, as you well know. You're and exactly that would be right. a scandal. And if that... And if that is if that is true, then we need to know this. But the 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 the, the claims that there's no remedy for failure to verify mail ballots as required by law is false. Well, there is no remedy unless the court agrees and allows the the lawyers for the campaign to pursue it. This is the problem they're having. Well, at least they should be making this record. So that there is a record for the Supreme Court ultimately to rule on. Well, the record but, for the Supreme Court is they've brought whatever affidavits they have. They're working their way up. Rudy Giuliani said, look, we're trying to get on a trail to the United States Supreme Court. So these are practice litigators. These are serious people who've spent their entire life litigating. So I agree with you. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not criticizing them. In fact, I, I, I'm, I've worked with them. I'm not criticizing them at all, but I want the American people to know yes. that there is a way to discover this right now through the normal civil discovery process. 
This record should be created. We should know how many fraudulent envelopes are out there, how many lacked signatures, how many were signed by the same person. Obviously. Now, let me slow you down. Now, in some states, you don't even require a signature. I'm not and this, aware. And Dave, and Dave, this is what I call the institutionalization or the enshrinement of fraud. That is, they've, they've taken what you're talking about, what you would typically chase, right? What you would typically chase, and they've made it legal. Mark, as far as I know, in these states, the statutes require signature checks. And so, as you okay, said... Okay, in Pennsylvania, many- the state Supreme Court ruled that signatures are not required, signature matching is not required, and postal stamp dating is not required. But the, but the legislature's statute says the opposite. I know that. We've been talking about this for two weeks. That's right. why the matter needs to get to the Supreme Court. And then when you say, okay, they'll segregate those, and we have people say that's only 10,000 votes. Then you have equal protection arguments that are very, very important. Right, Dave? That is, if they're counting uh, in dark blue areas, they're giving them opportunities to cure their ballots, but in red areas, they're not even telling them they should cure their ballots. Again, in violation of state law that doesn't allow any curing whatsoever, that's an equal protection issue. And so I say to people, say, well, where are the 100,000 ballots? I say... Well, if the Supreme Court rules that that's unconstitutional, if the Supreme Court rules what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did is unconstitutional, for all I know, it applies to several states. I don't know what every state's done, Dave, so I'm just saying. Well, I I will tell you that in Nevada, the statute that these corrupt legislatures enacted in August to to completely rewrite their statute requiring all mail-out ballots in a transient corrupt state like Nevada— even that statute specifically required signature checks by the registrar or an employee in the registrar's office. That's the exact statutory language. There okay. is no provision for machine checking, and they've checked those signatures in with a machine by machine. And that, by yes. the way, that machine is calibrated to a forty percent level. Adam Laxalt tells me, the former attorney general, forty percent. Exactly. I, I exactly. Wait a minute. I think I know who you are. I'm not going to say. Is Mort your is Mort your friend, my buddy Mort? Mort, Mort, my buddy, our our mutual buddy Mort. There you is, go. Is is our friend? Well, let me just I'm, say this on the air. He loves you. He speaks highly of you, and I hope you're feeling okay. May I say that to you, Dave? God bless you. Thank you so much. I uh, I, I really it, appreciate it. It is that, wonderful to hear so from you. It really is. You're very sharp. Well, right on. Good. Likewise, thank you so much. And God bless. Folks, you don't know who that is. I know who he is. He's a very, very great lawyer. He's very good. And you can tell he knows what the hell he's talking about. Let's continue, shall we? Joe, Tatawa, that's Tatawa, New Jersey? Where the hell is that? I thought I knew everything. Totawa, New Jersey. Where is that, Joe? Uh, Close to Wayne, off of uh, 23. So you're kind of stuck there, you're telling me. Stuck. Yeah, I'm stuck. Is that, is that where you want to be in Tatawa, New, New Jersey? <laughs> hey, I like Tatawa, New Jersey. Taxes Tuttle, are low. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. People are real. They, Wait a minute. Trump, taxes are Trump, low? Uh, taxes aren't low anywhere in New in Jersey. Ottawa. All right. Anyway, go ahead. And, and, and everybody voted for Trump. Listen, maybe, until Trump came along, maybe nobody, I'll move there. nobody in Washington cared about the jobs 
for the people. And uh, even though I'm a Republican, I think these student loans should go away. They're a fraud on the, on the kids. Oh, come on. Most of them aren't even kids anymore. Excuse me. What do you mean they're a fraud on the kids? Now you would make them a fraud on the American people? I had nothing to do with those student loans. Why the hell should I and tens of millions of others pay for them? I mean, what's what? what the, I'm sure you're not. You, what you, you are what do you mean you're not? The That's the you proposal. Mark, the Go reason ahead, you are about. is because 10, year, 10 years ago, it was a trillion dollars. Now it's a trillion seven hundred billion. What does that so have to do with your point? It's going to be in another point? three years. My point is, know. it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Yeah, it's getting worse. And so, your answer is everybody should pay for that. Tell me, should everybody pay for they're everybody's? Have to. No, they're not. Okay. No, they're not. Well, I'll tell you what you needs to so. be done if you're serious about this. Somebody needs to examine these colleges and universities. These tuitions are a joke. They need to stop expanding these colleges and universities. They're endlessly building all kinds of facilities. There's no oversight. Billions and billions of dollars from federal and state taxpayers are being poured into these institutions. You have tenured leftist professors, some of whom teach one course a semester, make a quarter of a million dollars a year or $150,000 a year. You got layer and layer of administration. And your answer is... Joe Schmo should just pay the loans. No, I don't think so. And what if Joe Schmo now is a doctor or a lawyer? You want an electrician or plumber to pay off that loan? All right, Tatawa. I knew there was a problem. Tatawa, whatever. Thanks for your call, Matt. I'll be right back. Matt Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Thanksgiving. Nicole, Tampa, Florida, XM Satellite. How are you, Nicole? Oh, Mark, I just want to tell you that you are an inspiration to me every time I listen to you. Why? And um, I, I just, I'm a patriot. I'm, you know, obviously really upset with, with what has happened mm-hmm. to our election system. Um, and you give me hope every time I listen to you on my XM Patriot. And, of course, I'm still watching you on Fox, but... Thank you. You're, you might be one of the only ones that I'm watching on there, unfortunately. Oh, there's some good people on there, including one of my best buddies, you know, 
Sean Hannity's yeah. on there. Well, listen, you know? Nicole, I want to thank you very, very much. Very kind of you. You take care of yourself. Let's continue. Caleb, St. Charles, Missouri, XM Satellite. Caleb, how are you? I'm wonderful, Mark. How are you this evening? I'm great, thank you. And the show me state, just don't show me. <laughs> you got it. So yes. I picked up one of your books off the shelf over the weekend, and I think it's something that's gone on the back burner that uh, millions of your listeners need to uh, to revisit. Um, it was the Liberty Amendments, and I think mm-hmm. this what we're going through right now more than ever demonstrates to the to the nation that we do need to revisit this convention of states idea uh, to repeal the 17th Amendment and giving power back to the state legislature uh, to elect senators and to require photo IDs for for voting and try to limit that, you know, early voting. Um, but I was very much inspired to go to the bookshelf. Every time I see a good Mark Levin book there, I grab Aren't it. You and uh, Liberty Amendments, really, it really stood out to me, and I, I do feel like that's something that we have got to begin to revive if we're going to take our country back. You know, some of the things I do, and you're very kind, Caleb, is I'll watch things, I'll discuss things on radio and TV, and then I say, you know what, I have to explain this in more detail and try and figure out if there's any any solutions to these things. You know, you have one life to live, so you want to do whatever you can. And I'm not going to get into it. I'm working on a book now trying to deal with what I'm seeing all around us here because I feel like there's millions of us, there's millions of us that need to know exactly what's taking place, why it's taking place, and to try and and join together in a mass and try and effect some change. And so... uh, you know, I don't I don't have any outsized view of myself. I just feel like for my little part, my little platform, I've got to do what I can. Caleb, thank you, my friend. Take care of yourself. Quickly, quickly, let's go to Ryan McAllen, Texas, on XM Satellite. Go ahead, Ryan. Good evening, Mr. Levin. Thank you for taking my call, sir. Thank you. Um, I had a two uh, legal questions. Uh, real quick. We have time I for think, one. Uh, go. Michigan State. Okay, the Michigan state officials uh, changing their decision to certify the vote after receiving calls of being slandered as racist and what I'd yes, imagine yes, would yes. be doxing and harassment should uh, amount to coercion. We didn't or- get to the question. I can't help it, sir. I apologize. Try us tomorrow. I really mean it. I can't. I, I, you hear the music. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Again, I want to thank the people who are still fighting, the lawyers and others. We're really working hard. All these volunteers, one day I'll explain to you what they're doing out there. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.